Today's reading is Philippians 3, 12 through 21. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. My name is Daniel Long, and I'm a pastor here. And it's always wonderful to feel that your sermon is superfluous after a reading like that, and after all the all of the service that's actually come before it. And then actually, I think it's something about it, it feels really right because I think that um, God is at work in all of it. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll get into this part in Philippians. Lord God, speak to us, your people, this morning. Give us hearts, ears, minds that hear and want to receive what you have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So during this Advent season, in the preaching portion of our worship, we're going to be continuing um, in our series in Philippians um, through the rest of of December. Uh, And this morning's text comes from Philippians 3, Um, We're going to start in verse 12, and if you want to turn there, you can. There's the Blue Bibles underneath your seat, or if you have an app, and if you're going to use one of the Blue Bibles, it's on page 981. And so just a real quick, um, if you haven't been here with us, introductory or reminder to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul, really to his friends, this church that he founded in a place called Philippi. And there are many things going on in this letter, but certainly one of the things that that Paul keeps coming back around to is this this idea of joy. Uh, And and as Will uh, talked about last week, and as it will be continued 
in this passage in um, chapter 3 is that one of the things that, that Paul's joy is so founded in is in his purpose and identity, which is so closely connected um, to Jesus Christ. So we're going to be looking um, in the final passage, and we're going to be really highlighting um, verses 12 um, through 16. Um, and uh, yeah, so let's look at those again. I'm going to read it and talk about it a little bit. So not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So in reading this, one of the things that sticks out immediately for me are all of the verbs that Paul uses. He talks about obtaining it, of pressing on, he made it his own, straining forward, and again, he talks about pressing on. Now, this language, at least to me, is very familiar, and I think it's familiar to many of us, especially in a 21st century North American context. I mean, this is language we grow up with, pressing on, striving, straining, obtaining, making something my own. I mean, this is the language that sends us to college. This is the language that, in many ways, as parents, we use to put pressure on our children to get them to be the people we hope that they can be. I mean, this is the language, perhaps, that's really at the center of many of our anxieties. And so what is Paul doing here in connecting it to obtaining it? The, what he's referring to is, um, in Philippians 3, the end of verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That Paul is connecting this language of striving, of straining, of pressing on, really of wanting the resurrection of Jesus. But I think it's easy maybe, or perhaps it's easy for me, for us to live in such a way toward God and in our spiritual lives where we do kind of connect this language of anxiety and of striving in our spiritual life with God. And so what is Paul doing? I thought we, are, we aren't supposed to be people who are working hard for Jesus, that works actually aren't connected to the spiritual life or at least to grace. So is Paul contradicting himself here? Well, I actually don't think he is. I think he's kind of providing a more full picture of what it means to be in relationship to Jesus. Thinking about the Greco-Roman time of, of when Philippians was written, I mean, this is on the consciousness of perhaps the Greco-Roman Empire is this idea, actually, of, of games, of competition. This language of striving, of pressing on, of obtaining something is athletic language. This is about perseverance and endurance, this is about living life in such a way that we actually are able to get the thing we've been practicing for. And I think it's really important to know where Paul's identity is rooted in. And he says it in a few different places in verse 12 and in verse 14. He says, Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, this isn't about Paul emphasizing himself and his own striving. It's actually the emphasis on what it is he's pursuing and looking toward. For Paul, it's so fundamental that his identity is rooted into Christ Jesus, making him his own. His purpose is for what will be true of him in God's upward call of Paul in Christ Jesus. And now it's tempting to think perhaps that this is connected to ultimately about the goal being heaven. And while that's perhaps connected, what Paul is actually talking about, this upward call, again, think of Olympic athletic language. It's this call to the platform. It's this call by someone naming you that you are a good and faithful servant. It's this call of actually being raised by God. It's vindication. It's Paul assuming his life, or looking at his life through the lens of Jesus, who has already been vindicated in the resurrection. This upward call of God that Paul is looking so, so deeply and so desperately at is God's call of Paul. And I think that's so important and so fundamental to what Paul is talking about because Paul can't imagine his life outside of the person of Jesus Christ. His life is so intimately connected to what God has done in Jesus. I mean, he says it this way at the end, or in in Colossians 3. It says this, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You've died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For Paul, he sees his life as hidden in Christ with God. And this is so fundamental to Paul's understanding of the spiritual life, because the fulcrum of Paul's life is Jesus. Jesus is everything that Paul's life hinges upon. He can't actually understand the world or himself outside of who Jesus is and what God has done in the world through Jesus Christ. Christ has made Paul his own. And I think if so much of our life, or I think of my life and the anxiety perhaps that I feel and the questions that I have and my striving and all of these things that I might be moving toward that isn't God is connected to this desire to belong. And maybe all of the disappointment and sadness that I experience, or at least a lot of it, is connected to the fear that perhaps I don't. But I think one of the things Paul wants to share with us this morning is the good news that you belong to God, that I belong to God, that we belong to God. That is what this passage is hinging upon, that everything that Paul's life is directed toward is only because Christ Jesus has made him his own. I mean, think about that idea for you. And I mean that. Take a moment and think about that for your life and say it to yourself that Christ Jesus has made me his own.
Christ Jesus has made us his own. That, that is just good news. It's the good news of the gospel. And that's the bottom line for Paul. The bottom line for Paul in the spiritual life is Jesus. It's resurrection life. It's the upward call of God, of God saying to Paul, your life is vindicated not because actually of what you've done, but because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so another thing this text tells us this morning is that what we want matters. Our desires aren't necessarily innocent. We can't just think, oh, I want that, and as if it's an innocent thing to say. But Paul is actually suggesting that the point, or the reference point for our desires actually influences the present reality of your life and the decisions that you make. This text is about posturing and orienting our lives in such a way that our lives in the present are shaped by the reality of Jesus and the resurrection life that is ahead of us, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says this at the end of of Philippians, this idea again of what we want matters, that finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And then again, the first two verses of Colossians 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And I wonder what occupies most of our attention. I wonder what occupies most of our imagination. Is it the resurrection life of Jesus? Is it the upward call of God? Or is it something else? This last weekend, I was reading, or two weekends ago, with some friends. Um, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a real hoot. Um, and we, we've been, we were reading it together, and I think one of the questions that Ecclesiastes is actually constantly forcing me, forcing us to ask is, how do you know that the thing you want actually matters? How do you know that the thing you want actually matters? And I think that Paul, it's interesting to put Ecclesiastes in, in dialogue with Philippians 3 because it's so clear, to, to, for me at least when I read this text, of what Paul wants and what matters to Paul. Jesus Christ. Resurrection life. But I think it's so easy to go through life, at least it's scary to think how easy it might be to go through life wanting the wrong thing. A week and a half ago, um, David Cassidy died. And for those of you who are too young to know who he I'm actually a little bit too young. I didn't really know his, his, um, his greatness. But anyway, he was like, basically, think of him as like the, the Biebs of his generation. For those of you who are too old to know what I, just mean, what I mean by that, think of him as like the Justin Bieber of his generation. So David Cassidy... The heartthrob of the 70s. And actually his daughter shared with the world what his final last words were. And I don't know if you heard this. But his, his last words were, so much wasted time. Those words have haunted me all week. And I hope they actually continue to for 
a long time. But so much wasted time. Here's a guy, right, at least in terms of our understanding or at least maybe what we in this culture would desire had everything that's at his fingertips that he could possibly want. And yet he lived a life to where he gets to the end of it and what is left to say is so much wasted time. It's haunting to think that it's easy to live a life going after something, getting to a place and realizing that it probably wasn't worth it. And the type of person you became in pursuing it you regret and can't really undo. That's really haunting. So how is it that we know that what we want actually matters? Because the thing about life, one of the sad things about life, is that it's filled with so many things that are just impermanent. There's an impermanence to life that we can't actually change. It reminds me of Ernest Hemingway's novel, The Old Man and the Sea, about this man named Santiago, who's a fisherman. 84 days, he hasn't caught anything. But on the 85th day, he goes out, and everyone in his village is, feels so bad for him because he's such an unlucky fisherman. And he goes out on the 85th day, and he casts a line, and he hooks what appears to be this massive fish. And he tries to reel it in, and it's difficult, and he kind of lets the line go, and, and the fish is swimming around, and he struggles with this fish for, for three full days. The fishing line cutting his hands, and he's exhausted. And finally, he's able to pull the fish close enough to get him with a harpoon gun. And so he does, and he says it, it's a marlin, and he says it's the most beautiful fish that he's ever seen, that when he takes it, he's not even sure that the people who are going to consume its flesh are worthy. So he pulls the fish onto the boat. And he begins to make his way back to the village. But the, the blood of the marlin is actually leaking into the water. And so, of course, sharks come. And he's able to kill a couple sharks. One, though, he, when he harpoons the shark, the harpoon is actually stuck in the shark, and the shark goes away. So his, all of his defenses are lost. But he's able to fight off the shark for quite a bit of time until it's just nearly impossible to do. So on his way back to the village, sharks, day after day, begin to take little pieces of the marlin. So when he gets back to shore, all that's left is pretty much a carcass with a head and a tail of the most beautiful fish he's ever seen. And the only thing that he can do is go home and sleep because he's so exhausted. And I think about that story, and I think about how much of life could be about going after, striving, obtaining, making it, pressing on for this most beautiful thing that we might want. And we actually get it. We hook it, and we pull it onto our boat. And all we want to do is actually maybe get back to our friends to prove to them, but probably mostly to prove to ourselves that we did it. But then all that's left is this carcass of a thing and the wounds that we have of wrestling it. And all we're, we're left with is exhaustion. 
and tiredness and really nothing. But then Paul says there's good news. Because Christ Jesus has raised from the dead. Christ Jesus is actually the ultimate affront to impermanence. Christ Jesus is the one who defeats death. And our lives could be oriented to Christ in such a way that the things that we actually do matter. The way of life that we choose, the choices that we make, actually has significance because of what God has done in Jesus. The good news is that we are people of the resurrection. The good news is that Christ has made us his own. The good news is that Christ is reconciling the world, and he says, you know what, you, we, us, I'm calling you to be part of that reconciliation. Whatever fear we might have of of wondering whether or not the thing we want actually matters and will actually satisfy and give us what we've been looking for our entire lives, the thing that will is Jesus Christ. The thing that matters is the resurrection life that Christ offers, the upward call of God. And Paul is suggesting that if we orient our lives to that reality, then our present lives will actually begin to make sense of it. Like we become to be changed in order to pursue after the thing we so desperately long for. We're celebrating Advent. We celebrate Jesus coming to us, God coming to us in Christ. We celebrate that, that, that God has taken on form, that God has lived life, that God has died and has been raised again so that we, as a people, in our longing, might find the answer to what we desire. That we find in Christ the satisfaction of the longings that we have. So friends, may we be a people who know that Christ has made us his own. May we know, as Paul says at the end of this chapter, end of this chapter in verse 20, that we are citizens of heaven, that our citizenship is in heaven, that our kingdom, that God's kingdom is a reality now, and that we, as his citizens, are called to embody and reflect it. May we look to Jesus and God's upward call. And may we be empowered by the Spirit to move toward Christ, move toward what it is He is doing in the world and reconciling it to Himself. Thanks be to God.